You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. Over the years, I've worked with oh so many people who find themselves married, wed to their own idea of themselves. Yeah, I'm picking up on last week's episode where we talked about how when we use our minds normally, we actually don't know who we are. I wanted to expand on what we talked about in our last episode for a couple of reasons. First one is that a couple of people have taken issue with my jaundiced perspective on what are collectively known as personality tests or psychometric tests. In particular, a number of people have said to me, but hold on, you know, the the Myers-Briggs test is used very often in the recruitment process, in the personal or performance evaluation process within organizations as well. And I make the point to them, go and look at the Myers-Briggs website. Go and look at how it says that it is unethical to use a tool such as the Myers-Briggs personality test or type indicator in something like a recruitment process. Go and Google discredited personality tests under scholarly articles, obviously, in Google, and you will find a number of very jaundiced academic, researched academic perspectives on the manner in which measuring something that, as I said last week, something that isn't there, provides us with not just a false understanding of who we might be, but it's actually worse than that, because in having that false understanding, we begin to say to ourselves, well, it's been proved by some scientific piece of voodoo, Myers-Briggs, our Insights Discovery Program. (laughs) Think about the name of that. It gives you no insight into who you actually are at all. These tests should not be used for the purposes of Actually, these tests shouldn't be used at all. As I said to you last week, perhaps the only advantage or the only positive that these tests offer is as an entree into the normal crazy minds beginning to understand as to how they behave and as to how their behavior or normally misbehavior impacts on those around them. It is amazing how many people are not just completely misled by the understanding that they have of who they might be, but are, worse than that, afraid to find out who they actually could be. It's amazing. In years gone by, before I turned my business towards the online world, which I did in 2018 with the launch of the online program, the psychology of success. In years gone by, I used to travel quite a lot and hold open workshops, which actually happens to be called the psychology of success as well. They might be three-day workshops, two-day workshops, or laterally, they were one-day workshops. When there were three-day workshops many years ago, people often booked and paid 
in advance and then on occasion didn't turn up or didn't turn up for weeks or months or in one case three years and every so often I would ask the lady in question why have you not turned up yet and she said well when the time is right I will turn up she was closely followed by somebody who didn't turn up for 18 months they're the two record holders the three years was a lady the 18 months was a man that's neither here nor there I probably shouldn't have even mentioned that that's irrelevant but I asked the same question of my friend who hung around for 18 months after having booked and paid for the workshop before he actually turned up and both of them said pretty much the same thing to me I quote him because he put it really succinctly. He said, I am afraid to discover who I might be. Imagine being afraid of your own potential. Actually, no, that's, that, that, that's a silly statement I've just made because in my experience over the last nearly 26 years I've been doing this, I have discovered that more people are afraid of success than they are of failure. Failure is normal. Failure is something that most people do most of the time for the simple reason that using their minds normally, if in trying to do something new, they're bound for failure. It's, it's simply the way the normal mind works. As we said before, the normal mind operating on autopilot will always bring you back to the same place. Even if you got into your cockpit in the morning as the pilot of your life and decided I'm taking off to go somewhere else today. No, the autopilot will always bring you back to the same place. So failure is normal. There's some comfort, believe it or not, in failure. Or should I put it like this. Most people's comfort zones are not uncomfortable enough for them to actually spark into the life that they could have. Most people's comfort zones are not uncomfortable enough for them to actually take the action that they could take to start using their minds in a different way. And very often over the years, the people who I have met when I have met them for the first time are taking that action because they've actually hit rock bottom, so to speak. People who have become desperate or people who have been thrust into taking a decision that they should have taken of their own free will and volition before it ever got to that point. Most people are afraid of success rather than failure, as I said. Failure is normal. I'm part of the herd when I'm a failure. I'm part of the happy-go-lucky load of not too uncomfortable people going about their okay or all right daily lives. I'm happy to be one of those because the safety in numbers, that's actually a true statement from the perspective of evolution. That's why our brains are wired that way. There's safety in numbers. I'm comfortable with my mates, even if I discover later on when I begin to discover who I really am that some of my mates aren't really my mates at all. That's another point of course that people often shy away from beginning to take the action that they could take to start, believe it or not, living their lives to the full. They're afraid they'll lose some of their mates. Actually the lady who took three years to turn up to the program in Dublin gave me two reasons. The first one was the one I've already given you. She was afraid to discover her true potential. And the other one was that she was afraid that she might lose some of her friends if she changed. A couple of years 
after having done the program, she told me that some of the people, or many of the people, in fact, whom she had assumed were her friends, but who turned out to be nothing more than acquaintances, had drifted away. That's an interesting aside. Let, let, let's get into that for just a minute, because an awful lot of people with whom I work eventually get to the point of realizing that there are some people in their lives that they shouldn't have in their lives. Some people that are actually bad for them or perhaps even toxic for them. We've talked about people like this before when we talked about so-called energy vampires. People who, after having spent a few minutes in their company, you're only fit to lie down for a couple of hours because they literally bleed you dry, they suck you dry. You don't need those people in your life. Even if they are close people, you would be better off without those people in your life. These people, as I said, people often ask me, what am I going to do about these people? What am I going to do about the energy vampires? How am I going to get these people out of my life? You don't need to do much about it at all because energy vampires latch on to energy vampires. And if you're not an energy vampire anymore, they'll go and find some other energy vampire to latch onto. People drift away. Acquaintances that weren't really friends at all, they drift away. Once you have taken the steps that we can all take to start living our lives to the full. You see, that's another interesting point. And I've used that phrase a couple of times now. People are afraid of people who are living their lives to the full. They're afraid because they are not normal. They're afraid because they are different. People don't like hanging around with different people. It makes them feel even more uncomfortable than they were in the first place. But let me come back to the key point that I want to explore in this particular episode. And it goes back to what we talked about last week and the extent to which people using their minds normally are clueless when it comes to understanding what their potential might be. So I'm putting a slightly different spin on it this week. Last week, we started off by talking about how being normally minded, having bodily turned up to the here and now, and mentally been off in the wilderness of our 70,000 thoughts, how in those normal circumstances, we don't know where we are, we don't know what we're supposed to be doing, and what we covered last week and what we're exploring further this week is how we haven't a clue who we actually are. That's where we started last week. I've put it in a slightly different way today. What I've actually said to you is that when you are mindless like that, not only do you not have a clue as to who you really are, you're blinded to your own potential. And this is the most damning thing about staying on autopilot. This is the most damning thing about pulling back from making the most important choice that you and I have to make in our life. And that choice is not a big choice. It's a little, tiny, teeny, tiny choice that you have to make and you have to make now. And the choice is really simple. Am I going to be present in the moment? Or am I going to allow my automatic pilot keep running the show? I can put it another way. Am I going to be mindful? Or am I going to be mindless? It's a binary choice. It's actually an easy choice. It isn't a multiple choice. You don't have a load of different options here. Am I going to be present in my own life? Or am I going to miss my life moment by moment as my life passes me by? 
So we're not actually just talking about who you really are. We're talking about the potential of who you really are and how, as, as I said last week, as a child of the universe, you have almost unlimited potential. Let me explain that because people say, oh, this is motivational talk. This is motivational BS. I mentioned that last week as well. This is rubbish. I have my limitations. You know, first of all, the only limitations you have are perhaps and only perhaps physical limitations. I say only perhaps because where I live, I would often be up the mountains skiing in the winter and marvel at those people who didn't even succumb to obvious physical limitations. I'm talking about disabled skiers. And whether that's the politically right phrase or not, I'm not sure and I don't care, I'm making a point here. I'm talking about skiers with one or no legs. I'm talking about blind skiers. I'm talking about people who have taken life by the scruff of the neck and said to themselves, this is my life, I'm gonna live it my way. I'm not going to live it as a victim. And I deliberately choose that word because we've talked in my recent Free Thursday videos about victimhood and how people like the label of being a victim. People with an obvious physical disability could wallow in that. People with all kinds of things that have happened to them, you know, like somebody left me and now I feel lonely and now I'm a victim, or somebody to whom something was done, if they only looked at it from the perspective of what was done to them was actually done for them, they would change their perspective and get out of the wallowing of victimhood. These people could choose to be normal crazy people and sit at home in front of the television. But what they've done is they've chosen to live their lives to the full. Again, an expression I've used a couple of times during the course of today's episode. Living your life to the full can only be done in the here and now. And that's why the minuscule little choice that I mentioned a minute ago is so life-changing. It's not so potentially life-changing. It actually is life-changing. If I decide to turn up to the here and now, and if I decide to disengage the autopilot that always, always will take me to the same place day in, day out, when I decide to do that, everything changes. First of all, I know where I am, which ticks the first box that we talked about a few weeks ago. Secondly, because I know where I am, I now know what's going on. I'm not thinking about what's going on anymore. I'm not second guessing what's going on. I'm not bringing my own prejudiced opinions to the reality of the present moment. I actually know clearly, clear eyed what's going on. Thirdly, as a result of having turned up to the here and now and knowing what's going on, I know what to do. I also know what not to do, which is awfully important because normal crazy people, and I keep using that phrase and I'll come back to it in a minute, normal crazy people keep doing what they should not be doing. Normal crazy people are constantly in reactive mode, reacting to situations that aren't there in the same way as they have been reacting to situations that haven't been there all of their adult lives because they're clouded by the thoughts that run the automatic pilot. 
Once I disengage the automatic pilot, once I make that little teeny tiny choice in the here and now, and it's the only place in time that I can make it, it's because it's the only place in time that I live my life in the here and now. Once I make that little teeny tiny choice, I know what's going on, I know what I have to do, I know what I need to avoid doing. In other words, I start acting based on what is actually going on, rather than reacting and repetitively and patternedly reacting to what I think is going on. But most importantly, I begin to understand myself, who I really am, not in a conceptual way, because that's the conceptual self, that's just thought. I begin to understand who I am in an experiential way. The really interesting thing about this is that people who have lived their lives in a normal crazy way up to the time that they have had uh, their initial couple of discussions with me keep coming back to me and keep saying to me I'm actually going to surprise myself I've actually started doing things that I would have previously found uncomfortable or as somebody said to me a couple of months ago, I've actually started having the kind of discussions with people that I've always needed to have with people, but that I would have felt squeamish about having before. Squeamy conversations is what they were talking about. I've begun to do what I need to do. I've begun to say what I need to say. And I have stopped dancing around things that kept a status quo that was pretty much uncomfortable, even though I was prepared previously to stay in that uncomfort zone. Once you turn up to the here and now, you don't have to go looking for your potential. Your potential presents itself through your real actions. And that is why I want to revisit what we talked about last week. As I said a minute ago, I wanted to revisit it from the perspective of reaffirming the damage that psychometric tests can inflict upon somebody who has already been damaged by their pre-programmed, patterned, repetitive, deep-seated thoughts. I also want to re-emphasize my deliberate and constant use of the phrase normal crazy people. If I am operating from autopilot and my autopilot is using the 70,000 thoughts that it uses every day to enable me make it through the day and the most deep-seated of those 70,000 thoughts, deeply held beliefs about myself, were thrust upon me when I was between the age of two and three, then that is not living. My mind is in control of me. I'm not in control of my own mind. That is the clearest and most concise definition of lunacy that I've ever heard. If you're not in control of your own state of mind, you're not at the party. And not only are you not at the party, you don't even know there's a party going on because you've never discovered who you might be beyond the confines of your so-called conceptual self. You don't need to undo your conceptual self. That's something we touched on last week. And it's something I want to touch on again, because it is an exceedingly important point. 
I said last week that people are almost obsessed with going back to revisit why they might be how they feel they are now. And that's a fool's errand for the simple reason that you can't go back before the age of three, other than under deep hypnosis. And, you know, which I've used a couple of times with clients over the years, not, not in recent times, for the simple reason that there's very little point in going back there unless there is a very particular personality disorder. But bear in mind even that phrase. It's a disorder of the personality which isn't there. And it is caused by some deep-seated issue that probably occurred, or almost definitely occurred, during the key third formative year of that particular client's life. But 99% of normal crazy people don't need to go backwards and look. They need to look not forwards, they need to look to where life is actually lived in the here and now. It is telling that of all of my clients or owners of the online programs who were, when I met them first, practicing psychoanalysts, none of them is any longer a practicing psychoanalyst. People who go back and enable their client or patient go back into the past to discover what might be driving their particular behaviors or perspectives now. It's all a waste of time. You don't need to go backwards because what happened you, for you or to you when you were three years old happened when you were three years old. It's only your automatic pilot that has been using it ever since. And your automatic pilot is only using it because your mind has been designed or evolved to enable you make it through the day. When you make that little minuscule choice that I was talking about a couple of minutes ago of turning up to the here and now, you disengage the automatic pilot. The thoughts that it has been using are no longer a power in your life. They are no longer relevant to your life. They are no longer an influence on how you behave yourself in the here and now. So in other words, they're gone. You don't need to go back and revisit the past. And I, I need to re-emphasize that. I really need to do that for the simple reason that people are almost obsessed with going back to, to blame somebody for how they've become stuck in their lives. This is not a blame game. This is a responsibility game. And the responsibility you have is to yourself in the here and now. The responsibility you have is to take responsibility for your own state of mind in the here and now. As I said, when you do that, your inner potential begins to unfold. And you begin to realize that that inner potential is almost unlimited. We talked about the disabled skiers a little earlier on. I've made the point to some of my clients that at 63 years of age, there is no chance of me competing in the Olympics for Ireland at any point in the future at this stage. It is unlikely that I will play in the scrum for the Irish rugby team at this stage. It is unlikely that I'll become a professional tennis player at this age. But beyond that, there is little that limits me. In fact, beyond that, the only thing that would limit me are those thoughts that we learned during the third year of our lives, which are nothings once we disengage the autopilot. And what that means is that you can begin to allow your inner potential guide you 
You just need to let go of your thoughts for that to happen. That's why this podcast is called to succeed, just let go, or to be happy, just let go, or to be carefree, just let go, or to live your life to the full, just let go. Your inner potential will begin to, as I said a few minutes ago, surprise you. You'll begin to realize that you can effortlessly do what you need to do to move you, again, effortlessly, towards the life that you would love to live. What actually happens when you disengage the automatic pilot is that you take charge of your own personal evolution. We've talked a lot about evolution over the last year and a bit since I started these podcasts. I've been talking a lot about evolution for the last 26 years. If you go back through some of the 730 weekly videos that I have going back to 2008, there's an awful lot of talk about evolution and how evolution nobbled us how evolution designed our brain to ensure that we are alert to threats so that we can ensure that we do our very best to make it through the day. But when you take charge of your own state of mind, when you decide, choose to be mindful, as distinct from mindless, when you decide to turn up to the here and now, rather than be lost in that forest of thought that you have been carrying around with you for all of your adult life, when you decide to do that, you take charge of your own personal evolution. That's not a nice notion. It's a statement of fact. The shape of your subcortical brain is as a result of 1.8 million years of normal evolution. When you start meditating, which is the training to enable you choose to be present in the here and now and to be mindful rather than mindless. When you start meditating, the shape of your brain begins to change. The inner structures of your subcortical brain begin to become restructured. And the manner in which the key components of the subcortical brain communicate with each other is altered beyond what would be capable of an ordinarily evolved brain. There are probably hundreds, there may be thousands of pieces of research from the field in particular of neuroscience on this over the last 15 to 20 years. People who meditate have different shaped brains to people who do not meditate. God, it's actually been discovered that people who meditate for the first time in their mid-70s actually meditate themselves younger. Not only do the neural pathways in the brain that had atrophied as a result of old age stop atrophying, the atrophication process actually reverses. This, this, this power, this power is in your own hands right here and now should you choose to take you know what some people call a leap of faith it's not a leap of faith at all this is a leap of scientific fact and it's no leap it's only a teeny tiny choice that you have to make as i as i keep saying as i keep repeating you can make that choice now and you don't need to meditate with me you don't need to use my app you don't need to i was going to I was going to say you don't need my online workshop, but that's actually not true. You need my online workshop for the simple reason that meditation, as I said a few minutes ago, is only the training. Once you begin to discover your own inner potential, what do you want to do with it? That's the real question. And that's the real excitement and the real adventure of life. And that 
is wide open and available to you. All you have to do today is start by meditating. It doesn't have to be a long meditation. There are no rules here. You see, the problem with most meditative teachers is that they attach themselves to a particular way of doing meditation or a particular set of rules. This is the way you must do meditation. Every other way is a fallacy. No, there are no rules here. You need to do seven or eight minutes meditation in the morning. It could be a guided meditation. It could be a listening meditation. It could be a breathing meditation. It could be a silent meditation. You could be listening to ch people chanting Om. You could be listening to Tibetan bells. You could be listening to meditative music. All you are trying to do is ensuring that you find the right buttons to tune your mind into the here and now. The right levers to pull that enable you turn yourself on and open your mind to the unlimited potential that is sitting there patiently waiting to be discovered. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willie-dash.com.